Um, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show Radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. <sighs> Benny. Yes, ma'am. What's happening? Not a whole lot. I was expecting you to like kind of come in doing one of these for today's show, you know. Rather I feel than like that. I but, should. I mean, by it the all way. works. It all goes in the same. <laughs> you know, it feels kind of fun to do that. But... Of course. Yeah, flying in today. I have a great guest. We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful show. Um, you definitely want to tune in. And then here we are. We're in October. It's getting crispy out there. We've got beautiful big maple leaves. And I love it when they change their colors. I was out yesterday and the red was so red. It was like craziness. I feel like this year like changed fast. Like usually it's kind of like a blend in from season to season, but within a week. Well, I've been so busy with my house getting it on the market. Maybe that's probably why I wasn't paying attention to it. Yes. You're selling your house? Yeah, that was last week. Did you not listen? I, you weren't listening. I did, but I'm just you kidding. Know. Get it. No, no. I, it finally went on the market last Friday. Last yeah. Friday. And I got my first full offer that Sunday. So two days. Wow. Mm-hmm. Market's still it's good. good. Yeah, yeah. The market is still mm-hmm. good. And it's good to know that. Yeah. So not worried. You're right on time for all this astrology, these changes. I know. I've been oh, yeah. listening to you. That's why. I know. I got all excited when you said that. I went, oh, oh it's perfect timing. Feed me. Bring yeah. me more. Bring me more. Okay. I'll bring it today. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just kind of spread it over there. Perfect. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, I'm Loretta Brown, and I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area for, I, I don't know, Somewhere between 27, 28 years we've been around, and uh, you can find more at ReikiOasis.com. I have my wonderful monthly class for women. Woohoo! The Temple of the Divine Feminine. Da 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 da. Right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> anyway, we're going to have a great time on Saturday, so you can join me and you can sign up for everything that's scheduled at ReikiOasis.com. A big shout out to my uh, listeners who help support the show. Blessings, blessings, blessings. Love, love, love. And you are a part of this. When you contribute anything, your energy becomes a part of it. So as I mentioned last week, October is a big month astrologically. The best month in the world for Mr. Benny Mathers to sell his home. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Why, thank you. (laughs) That was, I wrote that into the show. I bet you I do. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this past weekend, finally, well, I should say last week, finally, Mercury started to unjam those six planets retrograde and it went forward, although <laughs> it still feels like it's backwards. I don't know what's going on with communication. It's a little weird. And uh, the Wi-Fi's and the phones and everything, technology, the cars, <sighs> keep exhaling, it'll get better. We did have Pluto go to go direct and it has been retrograde since April 29th. Pluto is the planet of death and rebirth. So it emerges from this chapter and we may be able to see with greater clarity all the ways we've transformed, all the endings that have come to us Mm -hmm. and how important these endings can be for us to move forward. Yeah, it happens that way. yeah, I, I've got to interject it. If it comes, it comes, you know. Um, I was going to ask my guest this question. She can ponder it while I give the rest of my astrology report. But um, she's going to be talking about the Camino de Santiago. And 
um, the way of the wild goose, we'll get more into that. But this idea that life gives you these challenges before it gives you its gifts. And for me, it's like, it's gotta go do some cleaning out. It's gotta do some death before there's room for that life. So we'll throw that in. The Aries full moon uh, last Saturday, wow. It was in Aries and, you know, it's been smoky here, but so when you looked up at the moon, it looked like it was red orange, like it was fire. And I just looked at that and went, oh dear, watch out, Aries is in the room <laughs> in full force. And it brought in alchemical fire to help us finally move ahead. Lots of people have been feeling really stuck and sludgy and they're like, oh my goodness, Loretta, are we ever going to get forward? And I go, well get ready, you know, mm -hmm. put your tinfoil hat on because here we go. And uh, sometimes we can be obsessed with healing and lose sight of our journey. We just get into it. And the feelings of calm that we're actually trying to create will be all riled up in that healing. And when this happens, we may need to release control or expectations of how we anticipate the healing to play out. Um, the divine has her way with us. So make it through that. Release what you can, stand in the alchemical fire of change, and move forward, even if you're quaking or quacking. No, sorry, it had to happen. And as Jupiter's been hanging out close to the moon, <laughs> emotions may have been running high. I'm sorry, it's Loretta's. <laughs> anyway, I'm not actually an astrologer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yeah, never mind. On Monday, we had the 1010 portal. And once again, that's more of this pushing us forward, this beautiful, powerful energy of change. And uh, with Jupiter right there, Jupiter expands everything. It amplifies everything. It makes us look at everything. So it's sometimes considered the lucky star. So remember that that movement, once again, is trying to get us into a good place. Each of us is hopefully learning to master the ego and tune into greater vision. And uh, it's sticky. On October 16 through 18, which is coming up in a few days, we pass through the Arcturus gateway where the sun aligns with the superstar Arcturus. Arcturus allows high frequency energies to beam down to the planet. Arcturus is a star, star associated with <clears throat> Mr. Benny, prosperity, abundance, Loving it, feeling it. I know. It, and increased it. psychic energies, intuition, our our internal guidance system that brings us home. And Arcturus is believed to be the home of an advanced, loving, compassionate alien race. Arcturus is about 25 times five times bigger than our sun and is located north of the celestial equator. As it was so bright and shiny and is so bright and shiny, it captured the attention of our ancient ancestors and myths and le legends say they used it as a guiding star for those making a long journey over the seas. Oh my goodness, that's so appropriate to my guests. It's blowing me away. In Western astrology, Arcturus is believed to be a lucky star that carries the energy of prosperity and determination. And it indicates that if we work hard and we're fair and honest in our pursuits, we will be justly rewarded. And in Vedic astrology, Arcturus is known as Sawati, which means very beneficent. 
It's also believed there are Arcturian starseeds on Earth, which are those that descended from Arcturus and feel a strong connection to the star or the stars. And I love the stars. I hope everyone loves the stars. And speaking of stars and following stars and all my silliness, my guest today is the amazing Bibi Bahrami. And Bibi is an anthropologist and an award-winning author of several books, at least seven, maybe eight now, I don't know, and travel guides to include the book we're going to talk about today, The Way of the Wild Goose, Three Pilgrimages Following Geese, Stars, and Hunches on the Camino de Santiago, a beautiful and unusual pilgrimage turned adventure story in pursuit of a pagan mystery on the Camino de Santiago across France and Spain. Why is the goose associated with the medieval Camino de Santiago? And how did it come to preserve a whole universe of pagan pre-Christian lore in one innocent symbol? Hmm. Longtime trekker Barami decided to find out and unknowingly catapulted herself into a true wild goose chase, unearthing a magnetically alive and meaningful long walk on the ancient roads of France and Spain and a journey into the self. Oh my goodness, thank you and welcome to the show, BB. Thank you so much, Loretta, for having me. It's a huge honor to be here. And I feel like the stars have aligned for today's conversation. I, I gotta tell you, you know, I put this stuff together and then I'm reading it and I'm looking at you and I went, I can't make this up, you know? It's all part of what happens, isn't it? And, it um, is. Yeah, and I was uh, also telling Bibi, excuse me, I've got to clear my throat, <clears> throat> that uh, before the show that I've been out walking and, you know, we have Canadian geese that migrate through this region. And so appropriately, I, I hear them and look up and there's a bunch of them in a V coming right over my head, coming down to land in this marshy region uh, near where I live. And I went, oh, my goodness, we are on time, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out where to plunge into this absolutely delicious conversation with you, Bibi. Um, maybe let's begin with the Camino. What drew you to it and when? Mm, I, you know, first heard about the Camino in 1986 when I was a ex college exchange student at the University of Seville in southern Spain. And I was sitting in the front row as I did so I could see the lips of my professor move because I was still struggling to learn uh, fluent Castilian. And he, what, it was the history of Spain course that I was taking. And he was pacing back and forth in the, in the uh, front of the room and smoking a cigarette as they did in those days in <laughs> classrooms in Spain. <laughs> and he said, today we're going to talk about uh, the road that made Europe. And I was thinking, wow, that's a pretty big statement. And he said, it's called the Camino de Santiago. And as soon as he uttered those three words before I even knew what it was, it just burned itself into my, my oh. spirit. And I just thought, wow, I, whatever this is, I need to find out more. And I wrote those three words on my notebook, right as he walked by and tapped ash <laughs> onto the notebook. And I was circling the words, so there's this ash smear circle around the words, almost to make it even more, you know, pay attention. 
And it took nine years before I actually finally did get to a part of the Camino de Santiago. Uh, I actually went to, to Galicia and walked a portion of it, which is in northwestern Spain. And, and I went to Santiago de Compostela, which is the goal of this pilgrimage route that really is a network of many roads across all of Europe that eventually lead to four main roads in France or you know, several main roads in Spain or in Portugal, and they're all destined towards that, I should be going this way, towards that northwestern point in Iberia and where the purported tomb of St. James the Greater is buried. And it was pure magic from the moment I set foot on it. That was 1995. There wasn't as much uh, marking or infrastructure. And yet uh, people recognized me as a pilgrim and they started, you know, helping me, you know, and I was absolutely unprepared for this walk, but people, you know, opened their doors. They, they helped me find food or they fed me and they, you know, people even opened their, their hotels that were closed, you know, or, or just offered me a place to stay. And by the time I got to Santiago de Compostela, I, I had been initiated as a pilgrim. People called me a pilgrim and I realized, my God, I'm a pilgrim. And being a pilgrim, I learned that first walk was trusting the unknown and having faith in life to give you what you need. Uh, so that's when I started really learning to trust more and to realize that there is this beautiful magic at work. It's real magic. But we have to we have to open ourselves and trust it. And I was just very lucky that I met such kind, generous people. And then I just kept going back because <laughs> there's just so many layers to this road. And I, I just kept wanting to peel back the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. And I still am, you know, how many years later, you know, three decades later, uh, there's just so much there because it's a very ancient geography. Wow. I um love what you said so much and also there's obviously some strong connection between you the Camino and and your writings what it is that you came to do by the way you're just an excellent writer and I just want to tell everybody right now just just get the book now <laughs> I really am moved by that thank you yeah the way of the wild goose wow I, I i love it it's a it's a metaphor we're gonna get deeper into what that means um when did you first meet the goose i first met the goose uh when i was walking the camino frances which is the most historic route across northern spain and i started meeting a few you know not many but a few pilgrims mostly european uh, mostly French and Spanish, who were told me that they were walking the Camino following signs and clues and having total open faith that the right signs and clues and guidance would come to them. And I said, what is that about? And they said, well, you know, one of them was actually studying with a spiritual teacher. Um, actually, his, uh, his brother-in-law from Brazil was studying with a spiritual teacher in Switzerland and he himself was from Germany and his brother-in-law had gone through this spiritual initiation walk on the Camino told his brother-in-law you've got to walk this you've got to do it the way I did it you know and and he had this little booklet in his pocket and I think it was handwritten and it had come from the spiritual teacher in Switzerland and he was walking this 
the sacred walk. And, and I said, what, what kinds of signs, you know? And he said, well, a lot of signs, you know, some are personal and you know them and some are universal, but even those universal ones have specific messages for you. And you'll, and I said, well, can you give me an example? And he said, well, the footprint of the goose, you know, that three pronged you know, <laughs> footprint. And, and I just thought, well, that's just wacky. <laughs> But then I kept meeting people. And then I found that there's this whole literature, especially in French and in Spanish, that speaks about following the way of the goose and following the footprints of the goose and the symbolism of the goose, specifically on this particular pilgrimage, the Camino de Santiago. And then I started discovering that it's not just the Camino de Santiago, but the geographies, especially in southwestern France and northern Spain, that the Camino, the main Camino routes pass through are rich in folklore that involve geese, ducks, and swans. And they also connect them to goddesses and that later with the greater uh, rise of Christianity um, and Christianity putting roots in these areas, they, those goddesses became fairies, <laughs> you know? yes. but a lot of them had bird feet and those bird feet were almost always waterfowl feet. And then I started finding very specific uh, female divinities with goose, duck, and mostly goose and duck feet, sometimes swan or swan cloaks, like Freya. Uh, but, but especially in south, southwestern France, there's La Reine Pédoc, which in Occitan, the old Romance language, it's related to Latin of the south of France and, and really of regions in northern Spain and into parts of western Italy, uh, means the goose-footed queen. So I started finding very specific queens with goose feet and they were divinities. Uh, they were associated with wisdom. They were associated with preserving justice and balance and health of the wild world as well as of human affairs. And in the folklore where these, these waterfowl footed women appeared in Northern Spain, they were almost always testing mortals on their, their, their morality and their ethics. And if they did any harm to the earth or to humanity, there were consequences. And if they did good things to, to sustain and honor the earth and human society, they were rewarded. So I just became intrigued that I'm, not, I'm stumbling into what I feel is an, an indigenous uh, folklore of this, the, of, of Europe, really, because you find these bird-footed women across Europe. I, um, I'm sorry, this keeps happening. I have goosebumps. <laughs> and you go on a wild goose chase and. <laughs> yeah. while, while you're talking, you know, cause I have been on the, the trail of the divine feminine for years and years and years. And most of the time I go to Egypt, I have been to France and, you know, I'm, I'm drawn in, in that different direction. I, um, years ago, I was doing some sacred work and I actually, had a dream and in the dream you'll love this i'm i'm trying to get all dressed up for something and i need to get my red high heels on but i have the feet of a bird and i can't figure out how to get my feet into the shoes and it led me on a on a googling of the goddesses with the bird feet uh -huh. oh, that's a powerful dream yeah yeah wow it's, yeah mm -hmm. there's something deep in our psyche uh, that definitely and you've 
Yeah. That's your walk in life. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So <laughs> I keep my shoes on <laughs> when I want to stay hidden. <laughs> right. But um, there is yeah. there's something so powerful in this. Um, yeah, the bird feet, you know, the ancient Mesopotamian goddesses, you know, Inanna and things like that, they had feet of birds. But we're talking about webbed feet and Oh, wow. I, I just, just, I'm sorry, just I'll say it, the, the great mysteries that are being right in front of us, but hidden in a very magical way. Um, so you follow the signs and the symbols. Yes, yeah. I, you know, when I really realized it, I, I couldn't stop looking into this it, it really had captured my my spirit my intellect and me physically you know i wanted to get out on the camino more and look for these signs and clues and you know and i already had immersed myself in all the folklore and the literature on them and i it, the book is really about three dedicated pilgrimages one in france and two that it, traverse you know france the border of france the pyrenees into spain looking for all the signs, you know, in archaeology, in engravings, in medieval churches, in, you know, what, what modern pilgrims are also engaging on, on the route. Um, so I found a lot in Romanesque architecture, the, 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 the dominant church style in, on the Camino that is from the 11th and 12th century, really at the height and heyday of the medieval pilgrimage when it was at its most popular. And then um, I also started finding some archaeology that predated the Christian period that also involved these goose feet and duck feet. And uh, one of the things about the, the, the modern Camino that's pulling something old, and we don't know how old it is, is the game of the goose, which is a children's game popular in Europe. It's like our snakes and ladders. It's a game of chance. You, you throw a pair of dice and you move your piece on a board game that's often in the form of a spiral, like a coiling snake. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has 63 squares. And the, the 63rd square is the winning square. On these 63 squares, 13 of the squares are taken by geese and they're lucky squares. So there's this association with luck. There's also association with guidance and, and, and guardianship which are all things associated with geese in the ancient world across Eurasia, as well as in, in, into Africa and in, in Egypt. You know, the ancient Egyptians have a lot of geese on their uh, yeah, paintings. And uh, so I just, um, so the game of the goose came into it. And what really nailed it for me is when you walk on the Camino Frances, the most historic route of the Camino across Northern Spain, and you enter La Rioja and go to Logroño, the capital city of La Rioja and the center of great wine. <laughs> On the Camino, right in the middle of the city is this big square called the Plaza de Santiago, but everyone calls it more locally the Plaza del Juego de la, de la Oca, the game of the goose square. Because inlaid in the square at a huge human the goose. So you can use your own body as a game piece and there are the 63 squares. And I just thought, whoa, this is not my imagination. The Camino, the game of the goose, geese, they're all being associated. And I started digging more deeply and found 
that there there's rich lore about how the game of the goose is a metaphor for the Camino and the Camino is a metaphor for life. And we go through ordeals and we, we, we have, it's almost like you always have to go through an ordeal before you gain the gift. And that was something that both the game playing the game teaches, but so does walking the Camino that no matter what you go through on a day on the Camino, it always ends well. <laughs> you know, there's some, some grace or some gift comes through it, or if it's not through the day, if it's whatever ordeal, however long it takes, there's a lesson and a gift and a strength that comes from it. I love that. Um, I did um, do, do a little bit of looking at the game of the goose, right? And you explain it very beautifully in the book, how this thing works. And it occurred to me that yes, our life, we are in the game of the goose. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> and then somewhere along the line, I realized you had actually written your book as the game of the goose and, and showing us your movement through the game by going on these pilgrimages. Um, you also point out near the end of the book, and I don't know, uh, I remember who it was that had uh, uh, likened the game to the uh, sh the seven layers, the chakras, and also uh, the three sections of the body, the mind, and the soul, right? And, yeah, mm -hmm. that was really the, the aha moment, the really the deep epiphany was, it was actually a parish priest in Logroño who had written a manuscript and had studied this deeply. And the inlaid Game of the Goose on the square there is based off of his designs. And he drew a lot of different designs. And he went with that particular design. It's not a, a coiled spiral like a labyrinth, a classic labyrinth. Um, it's more you, you enter here and you go on one layer and then you go up to the second layer. So it goes weaves back and forth. It's like a shimmying back and forth serpent and then it ends at 63. And he did that because he said, when you really, you have to first think about why 63 squares. Yes. And so it's like, you know, okay, seven times nine. And he said, okay, nine is the sacred number in a lot of systems. But for him, he pulled out the nine days that uh, the, the mother earth Demeter went searching for her daughter Persephone after she was taken into the underground, into the underworld. And so he saw it as a cycle, a full cycle of, of birth, death and rebirth. And then seven, he said, is just, you find it in every sacred system having to do with the process, the levels of, of the spirit's uh, growth and, and, and initiation and ascension. So he created this game board square inlaid in the, in the plaza design where you enter and you walk the first chakra or you know, the first level of initiation. And he said, when you organize the game of the goose this way, you, you enter and every, on, on the game board, it's always every fourth and every fifth alternating square is a goose. So you, you arrive at the fifth square in the first level and there's a goose right in the middle of the first level. And then you go and you rise up to the second level and there's a goose waiting to greet you. And then in the middle, she's there to, to, to guide you and meet you in the middle. And then you go up to the third and there she is at third level to, so he said, the goose is a guardian and guide to this process of spiritual initiation. And you, you're going up the chakras or you're going up the, the tree of life in the sephirot. And 
uh, the, you can also think of the seven sacraments in the Catholic tradition, which was his tradition. And um, sadly, he, he died, I believe, in 2016, mm. and before I had a chance to meet him. But the generosity of a fellow writer and pilgrim and Camino uh, nerd, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> he, he, he shared his copy of the manuscript that he had acquired when he was in Lebanonia with me. And that was uh, gave me a chance to really steep myself in Father Ojeda's work and that that was profound because I thought here is a Catholic parish priest building this body of knowledge on universal sacred traditions and weaving it into his own and basically telling people this the Camino and the game of the goose and life is all a spiritual walk and you yeah. can awake awaken to it and ascend the layers and arrive at the winning square and it may not be easy but boy does really cool stuff happen <laughs> if you walk on this path and wake up. I love that so much. Um, I've always thought and, and discovered that the, uh, I'll say the ancient mysteries are actually hidden right in front of us and have been woven into all kinds of things. So I was thinking when you were talking that recently we just got done with the nine days of Navratri, which are the, the um, uh, celebration of the goddess in the East Indian format, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, here we are, here we are. Um, also, I wanna say this, and then we're gonna take a little station break. Uh, you also point out in the book that if people are familiar with the game Shoots and Ladders, right? That it'll give you a little bit of insight into the game of the goose if you've never actually, uh, are, if you're not familiar with it. And apparently you can actually buy the game of the goose. <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can. But but I think living it is much more exciting. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this is Loretta Brown. We're gonna take a little station break. My guest today, Bibi Balrami, The Way of the Wild Goose and um, Three pil Pilgrimages following geese, following geese, Stars and Hunches. <laughs> on the Camino de Santiago, and uh, we'll take a station break. We'll be right back. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. After I came home from Iraq, I could still hear the booms. Makes it hard to be a good mom. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I'm Naomi Mathis, Air Force veteran. DAV helps veterans get the benefits they've earned. Thanks to DAV, I was able to begin to heal. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. My victory is being able to be here for my children. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Alternative Talk 1150 is your sports organization's safe bet when it comes to airing your team's games. Our players are all seasoned professionals when it comes to sports programming. Imagine your games being heard on local radio. Your team deserves the MVP treatment. Call 425-653-1150 today to learn how affordable and fun it is to broadcast your games on the radio. Call 425-653-1150 and make your next season something special. That's 425-653-1150. 
Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown show with my guest, Bibi Balrami, the way of the wild goose chase. No, sorry, <laughs> wild goose. <laughs> anyway, I want to remind everybody that these shows are archived. You can listen to them over and over again at the KKNW 1150 archives for the original Loretta Brown show. And we're also on iTunes, Podcast One, Spotify, and I don't know, we're all over the place. And um, so check it out. Lots and lots of great shows. But we are, I just love this conversation with you so, so much. Um, the game of the goose, which is really the way of life, isn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah it's the way of life. I was also thinking of something else when you were talking. Um, you know, the the Egyptian pyramids are lined up supposedly with the uh, belt of Orion. But there's another line of thought that that relates them to Cygnus. The astrological mm. sign of the swan right uh, right the mm -hmm. in the milky way yeah uh -huh. yes yeah go ahead yeah yeah that's definitely i mean you know the, not only is there their lore that may go back to the middle ages of pilgrims following the way of the wild goose as they make their way into southwestern france and over into northern across into northern spain because you know the, they're migratory animals, and people were much more in touch with natural rhythms, and they lived much more in nature, and they had to grow all their food, you know. And so you have to know nature and its seasons and its cycles. And so people were very tuned to a lot of natural patterns, including the flight of migratory birds, and especially geese. I mean, even um, Aldo Leopold in the Sand Country Almanac, the naturalist, writes about. Um, how, you know, spring really arrives when the geese decide to make their migration south. They've yes. like, and they've made a commitment, you know, that he, he writes that the red cardinal can sing a spring song and then suddenly say, oh, it's too cold and go back into, you know, winter mode. Whereas once geese commit, they're already 200 miles away from home. So, and that's very much the way pilgrims are. It's like, once you commit you're, you're no longer, you're on the road. Going back isn't really an option until you get to where you want to go. And they used to follow the migratory patterns of geese, um, which is a, a northeast to southwest flight across Europe from Scandinavia to the, the southwestern point of Iberia. But at night, they would use the stars to navigate. And so it's also called the, the way of the Milky, the, the Milky Way. The path of the Milky Way. And so pilgrims also followed the stars. And in the Milky Way, there is the constellation of Cygnus, which, if I remember correctly, is at the point where the Milky Way has this branching point. And in a lot of lore, uh, not just in, in the old world, but in, in North America, and I'm sure in South America, there is this, this lore of Cygnus being the guardian at the gate of where the souls are going after somebody dies they 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 need to go to cygnus and pass through that gate to successfully get to the land of the the souls or the hereafter and so um, i just yeah so i love it you know there we have again uh, waterfowl waterfowl and i wanted to ask you um i want to create more of a connection between the goose and the goddess and uh, why are goddesses associated with water and animals and things like that. And I think mm. we, you might have mentioned Mother Goose a little bit ago, but I want to bring her back in. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, Mother Goose is a later um, incarnation 
of the goose goddess, as I call her, one that was striving to survive uh, during much more pronounced patriarchal systems taking hold in Europe. And but the, going back to you know why why goddesses and geese and water, it just um, when we really go back and look at our prehistory and the first indications of sacred art, you know whether it's that mobile our art of the ivory carvings from the Upper Paleolithic, uh, or or what the paintings on on cave walls uh, that depict uh, forms that we recognize. Um, there, there's this strong association with animals or hybrid animals, this, this merging of the human and the animal world. And, and it speaks to the very strong possibility that our earliest sacred life and, and systems and practices were, had to be earth-based because yeah. there was no way of denying it. That's where we come from. And we, we were living so much in nature as, as nomadic, semi-nomadic, hunter-gatherers, early agriculturalists, all of this is earth-based. And so there's just no way people could deny that, that the earth is a rich, fertile, holy place and we come from it. We saw evidence of it every day, including our own birth or the birth of our own you know, tribe or people. And so th that's probably where, where it comes from. And the earliest depictions of divinity were most likely animals. And then we start seeing there's, there's this theory that, you know, as, as we started, you know, moving more towards settled life and, and uh, permanent settlements that our, our image of God started shifting to a more man-made image. But before that really set into place, we had animals as divine or hybrid beings, half human, half animal as divine. And I think that's, where this comes from. And we have a lot of hybrid divinities of both expressing masculine divinity and feminine divinity. It's possible that why, why geese and water, and we have to add snakes into this too, yes. because the symbolism yes. of snakes and geese yes. seems to really be parallel or wedded in, in a lot of belief systems and, and folklore. And why these two, and why are they one of the two of the most among the most depicted animals in, in sacred art, ancient sacred art, it's probably because they share a lot of things in common that speak to the, the magical cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. Um, you have geese who migrate, you have snakes who hibernate, you have geese who, who um, uh, what, do, what do they call it? I just had it on the tip of my tongue. When they shed, their, they molt. They molt, molt their feathers. Yes. Snakes shed their skin. You know, they both disappear at a certain season and reappear at another season. They both lay eggs. So they show their fertility very blatantly. You know, we mammals wait, you know, a gestation period before we start showing our fertility and bulging. And <laughs> <laughs> so they, their fertility, they put it right out there, you know, and the egg is probably one of the most profound yeah. symbols of fertility and procreation. And um, there's other, these are also two creatures who have mastered in a shamanic thinking, the lower, middle and upper worlds. Yeah. You know, they, they, they can move through all of them. And so there's a lot going on there that would associate them with an ancient, perhaps our first most primordial prehistoric creator, who a lot of scholars think was most likely female 
and if not female, androgynous, you know, before we split and created this, this polarity. Um, so there's so much of uh, the masculine, the feminine, the energies of the land, which we haven't really touched on the gematria, the, it, all of this is here. You know, I've been to France and it's magical. There's mm -hmm. something going on in that country. Um, I would like for you to share uh, from your book. There's so many wonderful things, but you have a place in the book where you visit a church that's very feminine. I think it's a church with a hundred doors or something. And then after that, you have an experience with a, um, a, a masculine uh, church, which has got a caretaker mm -hmm. there or something. Could you just share all, all of that? Uh, thanks. That I love <laughs> that you asked about that because that was another thing that, you know, the locals really initiated me to this fact that I'm not imagining all this, you know, th this is in the land and it's in the local cultures and the local caretakers of the churches and the villages, villagers who greet and, and take care of pilgrims on their path. And well, it's, it's, it's the church of Santa Maria de Eunate, E-U-N-A-T-E. And it's in Navarra. And Eunate in Basque means 100 doors. And so that is already cool in and of itself. But when you arrive at this church, it's in the middle of the countryside. It's not associated with any village, though it's near within walking distance of two villages. Uh, it's it's an octagonal church, so eight-sided. And most medieval churches that had cloisters would have these square cloisters off to the side of the church and you would enter the cloister through a doorway inside the church. This church has a cloister surrounding it. So it's a ring like the rings of Saturn around the church. And the, the cloister itself has 33 arches. So it's been an, it's been an enigmatic, you know, and a lot of people have pondered why 33, you know, and, and I started thinking, well, 33 is the number of beads in the rosary for the Muslims pray. It's not just that. I mean, there are Christian traditions that also have 33 because that's the, the age that it's believed right. Christ was crucified. So 33 is important for, for both these traditions. And, in, and also not only in the, the mystical Islamic tradition of Sufism, but also in uh, the Anglican tradition. There is this tradition of meditating on the 99 names or characteristics, attributes of God. <laughs> and, uh, and when you get to the 99th, you take the next step and you, you enter the hundredth. You, you rub the hundredth bead or you, know, you go around the circuit three times and then you, you, you touch that larger bead and you, you wear the, there's the, the amulet hanging at the end of the rosary. That's the hundredth bead or the hundredth door. And so I realized what if there was this medieval multi-faith tradition going on at this church where you meditated on the 99 attributes or names of God, and then you entered the chapel, the hundredth door. And adding to that, um, who is inside this chapel but Mary? It's named after her, St. Mary of the Hundred Doors. So then I thought about um, the Latin term in the Middle Ages for, for Mary, which was the hortus conclusus, the, the interior garden, the hidden garden. And I thought a cloister is always around a garden. And this cloister is around 
this most sacred garden, Mary. And she is who you meet at the hundredth door. So it just felt like there was this beautiful multi-faith system saying, do this meditation and on the hundredth door you enter in communion with the divine. So so it's a this and it's very it's a feminine church because it is devoted to Mary. That all was pretty darn cool yeah. <laughs> to start piecing all those things together. But then when you 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 walk from there and you go to uh, Puente La Reina in Navarra and then you get to Estella in Navarra and then after Estella the, the town of Estella you reach uh, after a couple stops you reach uh, Torres del Rio a village and Torres del Rio has another octagonal church and uh, I, have, I, I was lucky enough to meet the caretaker of that church one morning before I set off continuing on my walk. And she really, you know, wanted me to sit and, and, and talk, talk to her. And she was, she was really upset. She was like this, this drill sergeant. And she was so upset with all these pilgrims walking by and not stopping to look at this church. Because this church, if you come inside and you look at the dome inside of that octagon, it's a, it's a replica of the prayer niche at the mosque in Cordoba, which is now converted into a cathedral. Not now, I mean, a few hundred years ago it was. Right. But it was, you know, the mosque of Cordoba, the, 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 that dome was probably built by stonemasons who, who had, were either Muslim or had been trained in the, the Islamic traditions. And, and there's a lot of examples of this also on, on the Camino, as well as examples of, of, of Jewish ideas that are, are then built into stone. So that's why there's this multi-faith tradition. It's not just the Christian and nothing ever happens in a vacuum. They all draw from and influence each other. And there's also the, the pagan influences. So, and I go into a lot of that in my book, but so she was just so upset, just like, how can you not stop and see one of the gems of the Camino? And people weren't doing it because she was asking for a one euro donation for the upkeep of the church and for her time in trouble and to, to, to pay for the pamphlets and to, for the electricity and for her, you know, she would give people a stamp in their pilgrim's credential, which is sometimes called a pilgrim's passport. You get these stamps as you go along the way. And so she, when she realized I spoke Spanish, she made, she says, you come sit, you know, I'm going to, I've decided you're, you're not a tourist, you're a pilgrim and you have time, you, you know, you have nowhere you have to be right now. And she made me translate for all these people. Come on, you know, people pay the Euro, come and see this church. Here's the history. And, and then she just suddenly turned to me sweetly and said, besides, I have things to tell you. And I just thought, wow, I think I just might've struck gold. And she just started when there was a lull in people coming into the church. She said, this church, it's no accident it was built here. It's no accident it was built in an octagon. And she said, those eight pillars that join the, the walls that form the octagon are each channeling. And she gave a number of like, you know, so many volts of energy pulled up from mm -hmm. the earth and they're just pulling it up. And then they move into the dome and they join and it's eightfold. And it just, it's like a, you know, like a stupa, like a Buddha stupa, that's this, this energy channel between heaven and earth. And uh, then she started saying, you know, people don't, people mock me the, the, when I talk about energy, but 
come on, you know, everything's energy. I mean, Einstein knew that energy and matter. They have this dance. And, um, and she said, and this church is very masculine. And it forms a complete circuit with the church of Santa Maria de Eonate, which is feminine. And this is, you know, it's there the two ends of this, this moving circuit, the positive and the negative, and the yin-yang. And I realized that in the middle of that is Estea, which also has an octagonal church. And, and Estea has this, it's almost like a merging of both the masculine and the feminine energy. So it's like in the middle of the, this, and I just, that was, that was powerful to learn and to learn from a local steeped in her own culture's lore and traditions. And it also really made me, again, realize, like the square in Logroño in the Game of the Goose, this is not my imagination. This is a, something very real happening on the ground. Yeah, that is such a beautiful, it's so beautiful. And um, if memory serves me right, she had you sing. Oh, she is did. Is this the place where you sing? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. then she barked, you know, she commanded that I <laughs> she sing, commanded. you know, and I was like, I don't, I just don't want to fight with this woman. <laughs> For one thing, I'm learning a lot from her. And I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a singer, you know, but she still said sing, you know, that's an excuse and, you know, excuses. And so I just went and stood in the center of this, this octagon. And I, I sang a, a sacred song that I knew, a Gregorian chant. And it was astounding. It was like I had the voice of an angel yeah. and it just, the energy just reverberated yeah. and just entered my cell tissue and I could feel it in the walls and in the air. And uh, yeah, these places, it, you, 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 it just confirmed it's, it's concentrating this energy. And as she said, it wasn't an accident that the church was built there, you know, stonemasons, it is known they, they did, they did have this lore of sacred geometry and and um, of a, a sensing of, of the, the electromagnetic and the energy in the earth, the, the telluric forces, that the, they, they didn't just build places by, in, by accident in, in certain spots. They looked hard to find just the spot that seemed to have the right vibration. Yeah. And then they built sacred geometry on top of that to concentrate that energy. Oh, that I, you know, <laughs> we don't have time to delve as deep into that as I'd yeah. love to, but the, the fact that the uh, ley lines and, and the churches and the temples, everything are built in very specific places and the pillars are frequency oriented, you know, and you sang there touched my heart so much. Yeah. And I went, oh, your, your song is still going. It's still going. I, well, I love thinking about that. It's still going. Yeah. yeah. So there it is. It's it's blessing all it is. Um, uh, I want to, I'm jumping around only because I'm looking at the clock, which is unbelievable. Uh, I want you to talk about um, uh, the Church of St. Faye, where you discovered the 26 ducks and the cover of your book. Right? Yes. Yes. If, if, if readers look closely at the cover, they'll see mm. the Romanesque church's archway that is framing the more modern Game of the Goose that the publisher beautifully designed. And um, that was another one of those moments of, oh, goodness, you know, here's another huge piece of evidence. That, again, this isn't my imagination, but something real going on uh, on the ground. Uh, Morlas is this little village in the southwest of, of France. And it's on the Arles route, one of the four main routes of, of roads in France. And 
it's I arrived there um, in the late afternoon and I was just starting to explore that uh, there's something I really need to pay attention to goose and duck signs. And I was walking with a friend at that time, my friend Sarah, and she got to the village a little ahead of me and she turned around when I entered the village and she said, I think you just won the duck and goose lottery. <laughs> You've got to check out this archway. And sure enough, there is there's the fifth tier, I believe, on the Romanesque archway, which was carved in the 12th century, are 13 ducks going this way and 13 ducks going this way. And the two leading each group are kissing beaks. And it just, it can't be an accident, 13, because that's the number of geese on the game of the goose. And there was a lot of ideas about why, why these ducks, why here, Saint Foy, which really means Saint Faith. Uh, and she was a she was a local martyr in in southwestern France in the fourth century, and a lot of churches are devoted to her in in the southwest of France. She's you know one of the the apex miracle saints of, of the region, and uh, she has her main church devoted to her with her remains is nearby in in Conque, further north from here. Anyway, it was just um, there's a lot of theories, but one of them is these were pilgrims representing pilgrims, but also that they're representing the spiritual initiatory path that pilgrims were taking in the Middle Ages. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, there's so much in that, you know. Um, I was thinking, number one, the ducks and the geese represent the pilgrims. Also, the, the goose represents the goddess or the, the divine feminine, right? There's yeah. that. But I was also right. thinking about 13 around one, which is that sacred thing of like, Christ with his 12 disciples, and there's many versions of that. But I also was thinking about the Kundalini energy and the 13 around one, the, the, the 12 strands of DNA around the God strand. You know, it's just the way Loretta thinks and how they kiss <laughs> at the top, right? There's definitely no accident that, yeah. you know, this is a, a, another church devoted to a very holy female. Yeah. And if you if you go to Barcelona to the medieval the Gothic cathedral there and to the cloister, you'll find that there are thirteen living geese kept in the cloister there, yeah. and that that church is dedicated to Santa Eulalia, another martyr from Iberia, right. a female. Yeah, who is so we, we ha I have to interrupt because we have like thirty seconds, which is craziness. So, Bibi um, uh, Barami, uh, where do people find your book? Where do they find you? They, they can find me on my website, uh, just BB Bahrami. Uh, Google that and it'll take you right to my website as well as my books, which are for sale in every venue that you prefer to buy your books. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm gonna end quickly with something from your book where you're uh, eating somewhere, it's toward the end of the book. And you said, if we could all live together like this, our world would be fine. And I knew in that moment that what was I what I was experiencing was the whole point of Mother Goose, Mother Goddess. So go in peace. I loved having you on the show, Bibi Barami, and everybody out there, oh my goodness, follow the way of the wild goose. <laughs>